This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, a hundred yards away. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he had said a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will fasten a belt around you and take you where you don't wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus the Christ. Amen. When someone you love dies... um, you grieve. Uh, you, you, you might be in denial about that. You, you might try not to do that. You might try to control it. You might try to fit it into your schedule. Try to do it in ways that other people don't see. We don't do it all the same way, any of us. But when someone that you love dies, you grieve. It's, it's 
a natural way of life. Um, on the day of resurrection, they are not grieving. When the women come bursting back into the community, they're talking and laughing and shouting and crying, tears of joy, something about an empty tomb, and he is risen. We've seen him. We've seen the Lord. He said, go to Galilee. Jesus is alive. He's risen. Go to Galilee. Very likely, in my grief, I would not have jumped up at that moment and gone to Galilee. We know for certain that they stayed a week in Jerusalem. Pastor David covered that last week. There's an element of grief and disbelief, which, as he mentioned, is probably why Jesus appears to them there. But I would have sat there for several days, maybe even several weeks, dumbfounded and confused and hurting and trying to figure out what was going to do next. Somewhere along the line, somewhere in the coming days, they eventually decide that they will go to Galilee, and they go to a a city on the Sea of Galilee called Tiberias. And you can hear them in Jerusalem. Let, let's just go home. Let's, let's just go back. Let's try to forget this whole thing. Maybe that's why Jesus wants us to go back to Galilee. Let's, let's just go home. And we know that not all of them are in agreement. John records that there are only seven of them in today's story. Somewhere along the line, four of the others have fallen away. Everyone is grieving in their own way. And once there, it is Simon Peter who says, hey, let's go fishing, which is, I think, an effort to go back to the way things used to be. Three years earlier on this very shore, Jesus had appeared to Peter and said the very same words that this story ends with. While he was mending his nets next to his boat, Jesus said, come and follow me. And Peter did. But now, now Jesus is gone. Jesus is crucified under Pontius Pilate, dead, buried, And it's really hard to follow someone that you can't see. My hunch is that these fishers of people are now going back to fishing for fish. I'm going fishing. That's pretty close to what we say when we can't make sense out of things, when we feel overwhelmed, when we get confused. It's what we say when we want ourselves to forget the very precious thing that we have lost and has been shattered We don't use those exact words. Well, maybe some of us do who are fishermen. There's at least one here. Uh, We say things like, let's go shopping or let's go to the office or let's go to the movies. And it's all just, it's just a way of grieving. Um, Our hope is that the old routines will somehow absorb our sorrow and our pain and our hurt. And it usually works. It works for a while. John tells us that they spent all night fishing and they don't catch anything. Now, I'm not sure that really bothered anybody because they didn't particularly want to fish that day. They, they just wanted to go fishing. But just about dawn, as light is just coming over the water, they see a man standing on the beach. And the man hollers out to them, 100 yards away, Got fish? Those of us who have never seen that person rise from the grave think that they probably should have recognized his voice, but they don't. And that's not that big a surprise because we don't recognize Jesus either in the hungry or the thirsty or the sick or the imprisoned. Stranger on the beach tells him, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And what I think is very odd behavior for grieving fishermen, they say, okay, might as well, let's do it. And then, boom, it happens. Just fish, 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 and more fish. 
So many fish that John says they can't haul them all in. And that's when, at that moment, when the nets are full, that's when it all starts to click for John. His memory starts coming back. He remembers the same scenario three years earlier that Jesus had told them to drop their nets. Their nets had been filled. And just then he looks back at the man on the shore and he thinks that he has seen Jesus. It's not uncommon in grief to think that you have seen someone. John shouts out, it's the Lord. And Peter, Peter, God love him. Peter jumps overboard, puts his clothes on first as if he was going to walk on water or something, splashes to the shore. John doesn't tell us how long it took for them to get to the shore. We don't know if some of them swam or all of them stayed in the boat. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that in the damp morning air of the Sea of Galilee as the sun is starting to come up and warm the sand over a very simple meal around a fire. The one whom they have lost, the one whom they are grieving, returns to them. And returns to them not as an apparition and not as a ghost and not as a zombie, but in flesh and blood, risen from the dead. Wow. <clears throat> From that moment on, their, their grief is transformed into joy. Never again in the story of the disciples and of the early church will there ever be another hint of grief. Their sorrow is transformed into joy that is so complete, so real, so powerful, that nothing that's going to happen to them from this point on, not persecution, not prison, not beatings, not even death in some of their cases, not even Jesus ascending into heaven and leaving them again, nothing will ever make them lose heart again. Their sorrow is so thoroughly transformed into joy that they literally transformed their lives and the world. That, that is what we believe. On the third day, he rose again according to the Scripture. I had to think about how much I wanted to share about this today. Do Do you do much thinking about death Psychologists tell us that we all think about it all the time, but we never admit it to anyone and not even to ourselves. It's, death is like the un- inevitable thing in our lives. And, but, but how conscious are you of how you think about death? Um, I have been doing some thinking about it lately. Um, finally took my bike into the bike shop after, after my big accident a couple weeks ago. He's a great mechanic. helps me out on so many things. Known him for a long time. And he looks at me with this great surprise on his face. And he said, I heard you almost died. And I said, no, I, I didn't almost die. I busted up my shoulder. just felt like I almost died. But I, I, did, I didn't die. Celebrating again. Anne's brush with cancer years ago. Our children who are now way out of the nest. Uh, grandchildren is a unique stage of life, just getting older, I guess. But I, I realize that I've been thinking more consciously about death. 
Maybe you believe that death is, is just like a final curtain, uh, that when you die, that's it. You just kind of stop. Maybe you just think death is like when your battery runs out, and maybe, maybe that's okay. And I, I will admit that I feel that way myself sometimes. I know this much for certain, that no one can ever will themselves to believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting It doesn't matter whether it's Jesus' resurrection or the resurrection of someone you love or your own resurrection. You can't make yourself believe in that. Resurrection is literally beyond belief. It's beyond an intellectual decision to believe or to not believe, to accept or not to accept. In the Lutheran church, we understand faith to be a gift of the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther said in his explanation, the third article of the Apostles' Creed, that I cannot believe by my own strength or my own understanding. But the Holy Spirit calls and gathers and enlightens and sanctifies me and everyone else. A bunch of years ago, um, I found myself standing with Anne at a cemetery in Blair, Ohio. It's along the Ohio River, just south of, of Wheeling. From memory, I, I walked through a very hilly cemetery through the tombstones until I came to the ones that were all marked Wilson and found William Ernest and Mary Elizabeth, who were my grandparents. And I, I remember standing there. The grass was too wet for us to just sit down. And all these memories came flooding back to me. My grandfather, who I mentioned during Lent, We called him Poppy Pete, big, strong, strong, strong man, very gentle, but very strong. My my grandma, Nanny, uh, was the opposite kind of person. She was very short and very stout, like a little little teapot. She had, um, speaking kindly, a, a fragrance and a texture. And I can remember it, even though it was somewhat hard to describe today. And she had whiskers on her chin. And when when she hugged you, um, it kind of tickled and worried and comforted you all at the same time. Um, and you knew it was love. And she always had an apron on. And she wore nylon stockings that she rolled down around her ankles. And whenever we visited, she always had pennies in her apron that she would share with us. And, and standing there with Anne, I, I was so disappointed that... They couldn't be with me right then, that they didn't live long enough to see their grandchildren become a pastor and a lawyer and accountant and executive. None of them even finished elementary school, that they never knew my aunt, that they never saw their great-grandsons. And I, I just literally started crying, and I grieved. Um, and I think I grieved the way my sons grieve my father's passing. When someone someone you love dies, you... You grieve, and you, you don't stop grieving. It's, it's a law of life. Uh, and here's what it gets down to for me and why I'm sharing it. You, you can tell me that I am kidding myself when I look forward to a time beyond time when my grandfather will place his hands on my shoulders again. And you, you can tell me that I'm fooling myself when I look forward to day when I feel my nanny's whiskers and her generous love. And you can tell me that I'm crazy thinking about my papa's laughter and my father's voice and my little sister's brilliant sarcasm. You can call that self-delusion. You can call it religious lunacy. You can call it wishful thinking. Call it anything that you want to call it. And you, you might be right. 
And you might have reason to object that things like laughter and the smell of a raisin cookie and the touch of a cheek are not religious and not spiritual and too earthy. And and that could be true. But it is for those reasons that I take enormous comfort in this reading from Holy Scripture today. I believe. It's not a throwaway line in the Nicene Creed. According to Scripture. I challenge you to take some time this week just reading this one story over and over and over again. Rip that out of the bulletin. Put it in your pocket, your purse. Randomly pull it out in the middle of the week and just read it and say, these are real people. This is a real story. This story about a risen Lord who sends his friends fishing. It's about eating fish and bread together. It's about their memories and their laughter and their sorrow. All of it being turned into the joy. It's a story about people who are exactly like you and I, who recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread, in the community of saints. They recognize that Jesus is alive and it gives them hope. All I know is that somewhere, somehow, someway, a gift called faith has been given to us. We who gather in this place to break bread, to drink wine as friends, to remember his death and his resurrection until he comes again, we have received that gift. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, and we certainly can't explain it. But somehow, some way, we believe. And we look for, we live for, love for, the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.